Five things you need to know to get the ideal cover crop seeding rate. And at first glance, this topic may seem pretty simplistic, uh, but as I thought about it, and of course this time of year, planting a lot of cover crops, maximizing uh, our, our cover crop seeds, and I could have also put in here uh, to, to maximize the economies of cover crops because that question keeps coming back. Do cover crops pay or how do cover crops pay? And uh, part of it is, is to try to maximize their benefits and also minimize their costs. So all of this kind of factors in, uh, in into that dynamic. And um, we're going to talk about a couple things here today. The first thing is, again, somewhat simplistic, but it's uh, overlooked by a lot of people. And that is simply to check the seed tag. Whenever you buy seed, it uh, needs to have a seed tag on it. And you want to look at the germination, of course. That sounds very obvious, but it's been interesting for me to hear sometimes when I talk about this, how farmers will say, you know, I never thought of that before. I never really looked at the germination. That's one of the first things I do, and partly because I've been uh, in the history of the seed business, and, and that's a very important component. So what is the germination? Obviously, if it's a high germination, like 95%, I would say is high. If it's on a low side, 80%, uh, that makes a difference in our seeding rate because if the test was accurate and represents the lot number of the lot of seed that you have, if you have something that's only germing 80% and the standard rate, let's just say, is 30 pounds per acre, uh, you may have to increase that rate a little bit to get your ideal seeding rate. On the flip side, you can sometimes take advantage of a very good seed uh, germination and maybe reduce your rate a little bit. I know some people who are very uh, astute to all this. They will literally take a sample and uh, germ it out themselves. And it's very easy to do. Uh, you can get... Uh, I think 50 seeds is the minimum, but you can take a paper towel, make it a little damp, sprinkle 50 seeds in there, fold it up two or three times, and just make the paper towel wet enough that it doesn't drip up till it drips. Put it in a Ziploc bag and zip it shut and just set it on your desk or set it on your office windowsill or something like that. And in five days, you can see if that seeds are germinating or not. So that's a good way to like verify. It's very easy to do. I always put it somewhere close. So I don't forget about it because if you forget about it and it's ziplocked and about 10 days later, it will stink because you've, you, you've gotten all the air out of it and uh, all you're wanting to do is to get the stuff germinated, but it goes rotten really quick unless you open it up and get it to breathe and then maybe give a little bit more of, uh, you know, air in it or more water to, to continue the process. Just a little simple test you can do to verify what's on the tag. Some seed tags now actually list pure live seed. Not all, but you can kind of figure that out yourself. That's based on a germination. Uh, I have listed there hard seed. Uh, some species, particularly hairy vetch, some clovers, some alfalfas in the forage market, but uh, particularly hairy vetch will have a hard seed, meaning that seed will not tend to germinate on the year it was planted. It may germinate the following year or even 
I think sometimes th two or three years down the road, it'll germinate. Personally, I don't see that as an issue, as a problem. I see that as that's uh, that just grows whenever I can deal with it. So, but factoring in the hard seed, sometimes it can get up to eight, nine, ten percent in some of these species uh, that you could need to up your seeding rate to get the desired population. The other thing is uh, other crop. Now, if you're working with a neighbor or someone locally that's just growing some cover crop seeds, they may have had some uh, other crop mixed in. It could be small grains or wheat. Not a big deal if that other crop is not going to affect what you're trying to do. But sometimes other crop can be a few percentage points. You just want to take that into consideration. Uh, inert is anything other than the seed itself or other crop or weed seeds, whatever. Um, uh, it could be just the, uh, it could be, it could be dirt. It could be uh, just partial seeds that are like ground up or, or split or things like that. So usually that's only a percentage point or two for most situations, not a big deal. Something you want to look at as well. The other one here is seeds per pound. Some seed companies now are starting to list seeds per pound. That is the direction I would like to see the industry go because, you know, we buy corn on a population basis about how many seeds are in a bag. Uh, and then that helps us then uh, determine very accurately what we want to plant per acre. The only problem with the seeds per pound is most of us are not familiar what the ideal seeds per acre should be. That We haven't used that a whole lot. We've Most of all cover crops to this date has been, been suggested seeding rates based on pounds per acre. So, But if you know the seeds per pound, you can manipulate up or down your seeding rate. For instance, I'm very familiar with radishes. The largest radish seeds I've seen was 19,000 seeds per pound. And I've seen some up into the 40,000 seeds per pound, meaning there could effectively be double the amount of seeds in a pound. So I remember when I was in the seed business, if we had a lot number of seed that was smaller seeds, I would direct them toward guides that were broadcasting or aerial seeding or in a situation where it required more seeds per pound where they could actually buy that lot number and not have to increase their seeding rate. So that's just a quick example there if, if you want to really fine tune it. And if you're, if you're covering some acres, this could add up because like I said, seeds per pound can sometimes double. I mean, most of us are familiar with soybeans. We always look, what is the seeds per pound? And that will determine our seeding rate. So um, I hope that more seed companies will start listing this in the seed tag, but that's something, if you want to do it yourself, it is a pain uh, to do, uh, to actually count them out and so forth. But just want to make you aware of that. And finally, on this slide here, I just want to mention the date it was tested. The date tested will be listed on the seed tag. Uh, different states are different in requirements, so what it has to be labeled by. Some are one year, some are nine months. Um, 
before it's out of date. Now, I'm going to share a little later on which species tend to hold their germ better than others. So I'll just, uh, some of the dates here are almost meaningless because some species hold their germ very well and they last a long time. Others do not. So I'll cover that a little bit later on here. So here's just an example of a seed tag. You see uh, it's a pretty clean seed. The pure seed is over 99%. There's crop seed in there of 0.1%. In this case, it's not labeled what that crop was. So you'd have to ask if you're concerned about it. Inert matter is 0.27%. It's very low. Weed seed is 0.1%. Again, very, very low. You would have to ask if you want to know what that is. Noxious weeds, none found. Uh, and I'm just going to mention that because we're, we're looking at this here, that uh, if there is a noxious weed, that there is some allowable limits per pound of that. And if there would be, they would be listed there. Or it may render it unsaleable in certain noxious weeds that are in a, it found in a lot of seed that's unsaleable because uh, it's not allowed. And every state has their list of that. So, but let's look over here on the right side. The date tested here, these are Austrian winter peas, okay? Date tested, and, and this is a current label. I just took this picture this morning, is, uh, is August of 2018. So that was within the past month or so. That's great. The germ was low, 80% germ. That's on the low side for peas. But I will tell you, peas tend to be low. You rarely will see peas in the 90s, rarely. So just FYI, I'm not, I'm not concerned about this germ, because, but it's a low side. But look at that. It has some hard seed. I've not seen much hard seed in winter peas before. I felt this is interesting. Now only 75% of these peas are, according to the test, are going to grow. So if my seeding rate was, let's just say I'm going to plant these peas straight. Uh, let's say I put them at 50 pounds per acre. If that's the normal seeding rate, I'm effectively only going to get like, well, I didn't do the math here, but like 38, 40 pounds to most that are actually going to grow. So if you're really looking for a good seeding rate here, you're going to shortchange yourself if you uh, see what you think may be normal. So this, again, is an important thing to look at, and I just thought this was a good example uh, to try to explain what I, was just, what I was just sharing there. So that's my first point, to check the seed tag. A lot of information on there. It's kind of like the fine print that we never read, but uh, I think you could, you'll, you'll be a better manager if you know a little bit more of what's going on. And I'll just make one other comment that, um, you know, the more you know sometimes, the more cynical you get uh, or skeptical. And I've been in the seed business, and there's all kinds of tricks of the trade on how to get a seed test to pass. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, it goes to say that you want to deal with a seed company that has integrity and that has honestly and a good reputation for what they put on the seed tag. So they're only testing 400 grams sometimes in like a tractor trailer load. Well, that's subject to a lot of gray area there. So uh, you want to be able to trust your seed company when you do this. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Don't want you to freak out over this. Not everybody's out to try to take advantage of you. But for your own good, uh, this is just something to, to, to check into. Okay, let's move on to the second point I have here. And that is to use a precision planter. And this is becoming more popular lately. Um, and in one way, this makes it easier to get a better seeding rate. 
down on your uh, as you plant your cover crops. Sometimes you can cut your seeding rates up to half uh, simply because you have better seed placement and better seed metering. And that's because our precision planters are just set up better because we're planting our high value cash crops with them. So uh, some of the things that we have benefits for, we have our double disc openers, we have better down pressure, better closing wheels, better depth control, and even row cleaners when we need them. So that's a good case there <clears throat> that I would outline for those of you who have larger planters. Now, I get it that some of them are maybe in 30 inch rows and that may not accommodate cover crops as much. Um, that being said, I do know of some farmers who do not have drills and they said it paid them to double back over and split the middles with their 24 row planter or whatever and, and so forth. So just saying that this is an option to get your ideal seeding rate you could really, really uh, zero in and get accurate seed placement. We're getting we're getting some nice meters out there that can really do a good job, even if it's our cover crop mixes, and I'll, I'll bring that up soon. But I love this picture here, especially the radish on the right side there, where we're just precisely planting, in this case, using sugar beet plates um, to be able to put those uh, radishes right down, almost to pick a fence stand, if you will. I see Don's asking a question here uh, on the chat. Uh, what is your experience crimping cover crops planted with a precision planter? And uh, I'll just say, uh, Don, that I have used my precision planter, which is 15 inch, uh, and I have done this. I will say, maybe this is what you're asking. One of the challenges when you plant in 15 inch rows is when you crimp it or when you roll it, if you roll the exact same angle or direction, uh, I should say the angle, that you may have open spaces the way it's rolled down because it's the plants were planted, let's say 15 inches apart. So some people, depending on the, the nature of your field, will roll at a diagonal or even across the way it was planted. Um, so, um, that's the that's the concern I would have with using a precision planter, that you would be able to uh, get the get a nice roll. Um, and so Don also asks here, do you need to keep the rate high in a precision planter crimping? Well, I would just I would just answer that by saying, what are you trying to accomplish? If it is indeed weed control, you do want to keep your seeding rate higher and maybe roll at an angle. So that's the two. Um, that's kind of the two caveats, I guess, I would give um, to, to that whole uh, question there. So the other thing I wanted to share is there's a lot of Kinsey brush meters out there. Uh, and that's a nice uh, planter to use uh, with that meter. You pretty much uh, have your soybean plates that so you can plant Austrian winter peas, for instance, or your Milo plates or sugar beet plates for smaller seeds like radishes. Or you can plant mixes by using the soybean plate and getting a backing plate that, that keeps them from falling out the small holes that were really originally designed for the, the chaff and stuff to come out of soybean plates. So uh, there's a company called Seedrite that uh, manufactures these backing plates. And uh, they also now manufacture for John Deere and Kinsey planters. And they just released one for precision planting plates. I just got the first prototypes here the other week. I haven't had a chance to use them yet, but that's pretty cool because now we can plant mixed cover crop species with our precision planters. Uh, 
So uh, in the context of our topic today of the ideal seeding rate, again, there's a little bit to learn about calibrating the seeding, and it's a little best guess at first, but you could really zone in to get a really, really good rate here, what you're trying to do uh, by, by having some of this. So um, just wanted to show a picture here of some precision planted cover crops that I did with my 15-inch planter. I uh, went right down between the 30-inch rows there. That to me is like that, it, that just tells you what I'm talking about. That, that picture is so cool. Uh, I had the row cleaners just a dust, just a, just a tad hardly. You can already see they were working, uh, but getting a nice seed uh, soil contact in that heavier corn residue a couple weeks later, that to me is is really really a nice job. Um, there are some drills that would be able to handle residue like this, fresh residue that's green uh, right after planting. I mean, this was literally planted like a day or two after harvest. Uh, but some drills simply do not have the ability to do this. So I uh, probably should have added uh, one thing here to my, my topic about getting the right drill and the drill capable of doing it, but um, I kind of covered it here, I guess. So, okay, let's uh, move on to match the planting conditions. And this is something that people don't think about sometimes. Uh, again, we have these established kind of rates that we use for planting and those of us who have been doing this for a while, we get comfortable with them, but still there's sometimes room to either up your rates for the ideal seeding rate or to lower your rate. So a lot of that comes into moisture availability. What is the moisture conditions like? And then how deep can you seed uh, and still have your cover crop grow? So, it's amazing in the fall when the soil is still warm, how deep you can plant cover crops and they'll still come up because the soil is warm, like I said, and uh, that just a total different mindset, if you will, or concept when we plant in the fall where we get too deep in our cash cropping uh, uh, thinking process that the corn or soybeans or whatever might ne never come up in the fall. It's, it's, it's warmer, the soil's warmer. And actually sometimes the soil is warmer, deeper you go. Depends on what the recent weather has been. So there's something about the seeding depth that I think is critical that we haven't really talked about a lot. Obviously, if it's dry, plant deep to moisture if you can. And also when it's on the wet side, uh, you wanna be able to plant as deep as you can to cut through whatever residue may be there. Now this can vary from different drills. Uh, some drills that have a uh, colder, leading colder like the Great Plains, you can set those front colders uh, two to three inches deep and then your back double disc openers as deep as you wanna plant. And there's kind of an advantage to that in that you can actually cut deep enough on wet soil to hopefully cut your residue pretty good and get good seed to soil contact. Uh, on the other hand, a single disc opener like a John Deere, you sometimes you have to plant deep enough to cut it that it's almost too deep for some of your small seeds and that can get a little bit of a compromise there in how you approach that. So seeding depth, definitely the deeper you plant, it cuts better the, the residue that is there. And um, it's one of the things that I found out probably 15, 20 years ago, I'm not afraid to plant 
my cover crops up to two inches deep, even if I have radishes included in the mix. And you get a phenomenal cutting action, and that gives you a better stand with drills in particular. So uh, here again, in, uh, the ideal seeding rate can be associated with the type of equipment that you have. And uh, I was just talking to a farmer about a week and a half ago, and, and he had an older drill, um, uh, a, a, an old hay buster, a Vermeer hay buster drill, which is one of the original no-till drills that came out. And unfortunately, they haven't improved it, I don't think, any over the last 30 years. Um, under ideal conditions, that drill will work. But that drill probably would not do a good job going after 225 bushel corn. And he said, well, I'll just up my rate a third. Well, you can do that. Um, and, and, and I understand that. But even so, uh, you're... You're you're not utilizing the 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 opportunity that you have there. So so it's just kind of one of those things that you have to kind of work through on your own for whatever. So the the planting capability, your planter capability, I should say, is is important when you think about your seeding rates and getting the ideal seeding rate. And another thing I'll just say is, too many farmers just don't go back and look and and see. Um, you know what what is going on so I'm going to pause for a second and unmute everybody I'm sure there might be a question I guess Don I'm going to ask you did, did I answer your question about crimping um, well enough is that did I cover it yeah I mean we, we tried crimping some stuff some rye mostly rye some other stuff in it this year uh, that have been planted with a precision planter Yep. Uh, we didn't have as good a results as we'd like, and some of it was the year. Some of it, I think, might have been the rate, and some of it, I, I, I'm still not sure uh, about rates mm -hmm. when you're trying to crimp it, uh, you know, and where that's going to crimp well when it's in 15-inch rows or not. I don't know. We're just trying to learn. And uh, Well, did you have any problem with, uh, again, if you're going for weed control and you're crimping the same exact angle that it was planted, you may have bare spots in two or three inches wide. Was that an issue? Yeah, but um, some of it was the first of all, the rye never got much more than waist high. I mean, it never got very big, um, okay. just because of conditions. And okay. then I think I think you almost need it bigger and thicker to really crimp well. And I'm not oh, sure, yeah. you mm -hmm. know, how we do that with a precision planter as far as rates and whether we need to double back and split them or whatever i don't know i'm just we're just trying to figure some things out were you in 30 inch rows or 15 inch rows 15s 15s okay yeah well i do know some people even with drills are planning um one direction and going 90 degrees when they roll it uh that that gives like a, the best coverage if uh especially if it's on the smaller side but you you hit on a few things on, on rolling and crimping, uh, whereas you do you do want a heavier, slightly heavier seeding rate, maybe, but not too much that it blows down on you and blows every which way. Uh, and and if it's if it's shorter, it just does not crimp as well. And of course, you can't kill it when it's shorter either. So um, yeah, we had that issue too. Okay. Any other comments? Uh, anything I talked to up to this time or questions? Hey Steve Lloyd, uh, the Hello. hard seed. Why'd you take that out of your uh, germination, your uh, percentage versus what didn't germinate? Well, hard seed typically, and I got to say this, you know, typically does not germinate the with 
with the rest of it when you plant. It'll come up maybe next year. So if you're, you know, my example was the, the germination of that seed tag was 80% for the peas. If 5% was hard, hard meaning it won't germinate like this fall. Let's just say you take that, that pea and plant it this fall. Only 75% would grow. The 5% would come up some other time. Does that make sense? Yep. Well, yep. but but if you do a germination test like your paper towel test and mm -hmm. only 80% of it came up and 5% mm -hmm. uh, of it is hard seed, it wouldn't germinate in that five-day period you know, uh, time. So why wouldn't you take that 5% out of the non, you know, the 20% that didn't germinate versus the the germination rate? That's that's where, where, where I was well, getting at. In my example, I, 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 that's kind of what I thought I tried to do, um, essentially saying that 25% of the seeds planted won't germ, will not grow that fall. 20% or okay. the, there's 20% are either dead or whatever. I don't, you know, whatever. They're not, okay. they don't grow. And the other 5% okay. ain't going to grow that fall. Okay, so then I guess my question is, when you do a germination test, how do you know whether you have hard seed versus in earth seed dead seed yeah like and that, that, that's a that's a, now you now that is a good question and part of the there's there's a and i don't know the exact way they do this but at a, at a lab at a seed lab they they will do different things to the seed to be able to uh to figure that out there is a process called scarification or scarifying the seed where they literally like take I'll just use this example. They take like sandpaper uh, and scratch the seed because it's because of the coating on, around the seed that does not allow water or moisture to get into the seed so it can germinate. And that coating has to break down in order for that to happen. So how they exactly determine that, I can't explain it. I don't know. Uh, but I do know that some people, especially with hairy vetch, are, are running it through what they call a scarifier, which is essentially sandpaper uh, that, that, that somehow scratches the seed a little bit. I've seen magnification of this. It is kind of fascinating, but you can overdo it and actually kill the germ of a quote-unquote hard seed. Uh, so how they exactly do that, Lloyd, I can't explain it all. Uh, maybe somebody else can is on here. Does anybody... Uh, Know the answer to that question, how they exactly determine hard seed? That sounds like a little homework for us all. I got to write that down here. I might, I might pursue that a little bit. Uh, that, that's a good, good question there um, uh, on that, Lloyd. So thanks for bringing that up. No, okay, Steve, I have a question, yes, Jim, Jim here. Uh, <clears throat> have you noticed uh, that there is differences in testing labs when it comes to germination? Uh, test. I have not because I've never tested uh, competing labs like I've done with soil tests already. Uh, so I'll ask the group. Anybody else sent in seeds to get tested by multiple seed labs? Anyone else do that? Anybody hear that? I've not I've heard, heard that. Here in, here in Indiana, everything's done by the by the state chemist office, which is on campus at Purdue. But uh, I don't know of any private labs doing it but they may be what do you know jim uh, i'm aware of two different state labs that differ on the very same sample <laughs> um 
one from 95% germ to 82% germ. That's uh, concerning. Yeah. That would be concerning. And, and there are some seed um, uh, seed dealers that will not send to the one lab because they feel it's not accurate. My answer, that be, uh, yeah. That being the 95% germ seems, um, they seem to be consistently higher than, than the other state lab. Well, this is probably a topic that could stand on its own, uh, but I will say I do know that with, um, for instance, I had grown black oats this year for cover mm -hmm. crop, for the cover crop seed market. And because it's fresh seed, they will put it, what they call, they, they chill it. And I don't know how cold they put it in, but they put it in for a cold day, for a, a, like a refrigerator for several days to be able to mimic dormancy. And that can actually raise the germ to eliminate, um, okay, in legumes, they typically say hard seed. In grasses, uh, they call it uh, latent, latent seed, L-A-T-N-T, I believe it's spelled, latent seed. Seed that, uh, and this is applied to grasses, that needs to get through a time of dormancy. Ryegrass is a good example uh, in this. and. So there could be some of your answer why the discrepancy of between mm. two seed labs, because you, you could ask the question, how do they test seeds? And again, I said earlier that, the, and I'll say it's a different way, that the more you know about some things, the less you trust them. Uh, <laughs> uh, this, this whole seed testing thing, I just am aware that, you know, sometimes seed companies will get a low germ and they'll say, you know, can you run that again? And, uh, you know, whatever that means. <laughs> there's, there's, different, there's different things. So, so, again, you know, that's why, that's why the simple paper towel test that you can do in your own home or office or whatever, to me, mm -hmm. maybe even more important than what's on the tag. Uh, mm -hmm. I have gotten seed retested that I bought uh, like a year later. And, and uh, mysteriously, there was an unbelievable amount of weed seed in it. And mm -hmm. the tag said zero. So I'm just wow. saying, stuff happens. And, and uh, there's a lot of gray area. A lot of gray mm -hmm. area. And if I just be blunt, there's a lot of cheating goes on. Uh, mm -hmm. So, uh, I, again, it comes back to the, the trustable seed company that you buy uh, it from. So... Anyway, good questions, guys. I do, I do want to move on and wrap this up because our time's marching on, but I uh, appreciate the excellent questions there. So we'll move on here, and uh, we'll break again for uh, more questions later on. Um, so anyway, number four is know the genetics. And what I'm saying here is knowing the genetics within the species. Um, when, as far as the ideal seeding rate, again, we use these generic seeding rates uh, for that, that, that most of us are probably familiar with. But sometimes in grasses, um, let's just take, for instance, annual ryegrass. Some annual ryegrass tillers a lot more than others. And again, I'll go back to my own example uh, that, that I was, uh, one of my ryegrasses that I was selling years ago had, had triple the amount of tillers 
in it. So you could effectively reduce your seeding rate by 10 to 20, maybe even 30% and get the same amount of biomass. So just helping to understand that, it's, these are kind of questions you can ask when you're talking to a seed dealer or someone that's in cover cropping is selling your seeds. So how does your variety compare to others and how does that affect seeding rate? Makes you a smarter customer in being able to fine tune your seeding rates. Uh, uh, and, and then the other thing I wanna say is, get to know the species that, that are consistent and hold their germ germination well. Radishes will hold their germ for years. I'm talking six to eight years, as long as they're kept dry, not uh, not subjected to high humidity or heat. Uh, they're kept in a good seed uh, kind of condition. They'll hold their germ really long. Harry vets, same thing. Uh, and actually, radishes will pick up germ in two years. Uh, Harry vets will almost always pick up germ in the second to third year because the hard seed is now becoming more uh, available to grow that year it's planted. But peas, peas are like soybeans. They lose their germ quickly. If you get a bag of seed that says it's one year old since it was tested of peas, I would not trust that. I just simply would not. Uh, so if you're, called, if you're on the phone and you say, do you, have, do you have Austrian winter peas? Yep, we got them here. When were they tested? And if they say it was a year ago, I would really, really caution you to buy them seeds. Uh, peas just do not hold their germ. Um, and, and I'm not familiar with all of them, but uh, I'm not going to go into it. I'll just say another few popular ones, crimson clover, decent, but I wouldn't, I would be careful anything over two to three years old. Most of the time, you will never know. It's impossible to track down when that seed was produced because it's not required. What is required is what the test of the germ was. And frankly, I don't really care. If that seed is 10 years old and it's 95% germ, awesome. Uh, but if that seed's one year old and 50% germ, we have a problem. So it is more about the current germ than when the seed was produced. But you'll never really find out when that seed was produced. And essentially, it is irrelevant uh, for, from your perspective of what you're trying to do here. So just a few things to know on that is, uh, again, important to understand when you're buying your cover crop seeds. Uh, number five, adjust your seeding rate to match your goals. And again, uh, I'm, I'm coming at this whole topic with, you know, you hear these seeding rates that are that are out there and, and people ask me, what seeding rate? Well, I got to ask you a few questions. And one of them is going to be, what is your goal? If it's weed suppression, we're going to stay higher because it's usually shading uh, and competition. It's going to beat the weeds. If it's nitrogen scavenging, if that's our main goal, um, you don't need a lot of radishes just to take up nitrogen because they can grow and expand uh, their, their tubers and they can collect it. It's like silos where grasses, you may want to increase your rate a little bit to take advantage of that ability to scavenge nitrogen. If it's nitrogen production, you want to increase your legume seeding rate if that's what you're trying to do. Of course, grazing potential is 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 always a higher seeding rate to maximize the biomass production. And then, of course, your planting window is pretty common knowledge, but I put it in here. The earlier in the planting window, if we're going into fall, in this case, the less seed you probably need to use. The later you go, the more seed you'll tend to need to use. And that's a that's a that's kind of a scale there that you have to learn for what you're trying to do. 
but I just wanted to mention here. And as I always do, I have to add a bonus. And uh, one of my bonuses there is to understand the synergy of cover crop mixes. I like to say one plus one equals three. It's well known that when you start mixing species together, they help each other. There is a advantage to doing that. And the nice thing about it is we can then reduce our seeding rates of each of those species. So uh, just a real quick thing here on mixed ratios. Uh, how do you figure out what to do? Uh, if we're looking at a um, just a simple uh, six-way mix here, um, and and I and I I put an example there of peas. Let's just say peas by themselves, 60 pounds of acre, 60 pounds per acre would be a pretty pretty high rate. Um, but I use that just to make this easy. Let's say we're putting peas in a six-way mix. So let's divide the peas by the number of species in the mix, which is six. That means 10 pounds per acre in a six-way mix. But because of the synergy effect, let's reduce it by 20%, which is essentially bringing our pea rate down to eight pounds per acre. Then you can do that with the other five species that you have there. Now that is just to get you started. Then if you need to, my bottom point there, if you need to adjust your seeding rate and mix ratio to achieve your goals. So if my goal is to plant corn the next year, I may want to tweak up my legumes to provide more nitrogen. If, my, if I'm going to soybeans the next year, I may want to increase my grasses. So again, the whole thing of mixing seeds is, is an art. Uh, and it's something you have to do on your own farm, and you have to figure it out. And I'm telling you, every farmer that gets in the mixes, they're constantly evolving, constantly changing. I think that's what makes farming fun. Some people think it makes it more confusing. But uh, I have planted the exact same mix four weeks in a row. And when you looked at that in November, you would have thought the mix would have been different. Because just that one week variation there made certain things grow more aggressive in early and less aggressive later. Just an interesting observation. So you got to start somewhere. This is a simple uh, method here to do this. And uh, when we're looking at our seeding rates and so forth, it just helps you get started. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to decide what works on your farm uh, with that. So. Okay, um, here's my five reasons plus the bonus. I'm going to open it up again for any questions you have on this topic and any comments, anything you want to share. So uh, who has something on their – a question on the tip of their tongue that they want to ask? So, Steve, it's Don. It's not necessarily a question but a comment. In Indiana here, we've developed a seeding calculator that allows mm -hmm. us to build a seeding mix. It, it works backwards. Uh, from okay. it, you, you, you take a mix. We can put ten things in it right now. Okay. It's going. It's it's looking at the final leaf cut leaf percentage coverage. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. And then it works backwards based on seed size uh, to determine a rate. So if I tell it I want it to be thirty percent cereal and twenty percent oats and ten percent yep. radish and all that kind of stuff, then it mm. works backwards to, to to give us a rate. It works really well. We can adjust it up and down. Then based it, the baseline rate is is based on drilling it. 
and then we can up and down it for precision or for aerial or that sure. kind of thing. Okay. So you is that a website based thing or? Pardon me. Is that website based or what? That, I was going to say that is on our. It's buried pretty deep. I could get you the link, but uh, it is a public thing. It's it's on a public site, so it's something somebody could use if they yeah, wanted to. Send me send me the link. I'll send it out to everybody. Then it's just a good tool. There's other mixed calculators out there. Uh, Green Cover Seed has had one of the first one. They've had that for years. It's pretty fascinating. Uh, Cornell, I think, has come out with one. I know that. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. I think it was um, Paul Salon with the uh, NRCS has has come up with one. Um, I'm not sure if that's actually available yet, but different people are doing this. But Don, that'd be great to to see yours um, and 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 to see it, it. Just kind of nothing else. It helps. It's helpful to well, at least ours, give us some ideas. Ours is a two way street. Ours basically, I can build a mix. Or I can mm -hmm. take a mix somebody gives to me and run it through there and determine based on it comes out that if you build a mix it comes out PLS of course, but then okay. if I if I if a guy gives me a mix of this is what I'm going to use or this is what I did mm -hmm. use I can run it back through it and it tells me if it meets our standard or not. Oh, so, so you're saying for the NRCS? Right. Right. It meets so our standard in Indiana. Okay. I can go both ways. Yep, that's that's good. And for those who are involved with NRCS programs, bingo. That's good. Because well, a lot of times we get somebody that brings in. That's why I planted, you know, and yeah. I got to see if our standard wrong. I hear you. Uh, other questions, comments uh, on this topic? David? Hey, Steve. To comment on that, here in Illinois, uh, the NRCS uh, has been using the Midwest Cover Crop Council guide, basically. Yeah. And so what they're recommending to some producers um, for their CSDs and everything my goodness it's in it's an insane rates on some of it um, <laughs> and then even going to like let's say you're going to corn uh, for instance if, if a guy planted wheat and was gonna then do uh, double crop beans it was gonna go uh, make a mixture to go to, to corn uh, for 2019 you know, it doesn't include sun hemp or anything like that. And the local NRCS guys are using that guide as a end-all, be-all. And if it's not listed on there, then they won't pay for it. And it's absolutely insane. I can't, you know, it, that frustrates me to no end. Uh, another thing is that I was doing some custom seeding for a guy, and he's buying his, uh, his cover crop through a company who... They sell cover crop, but you know they they're basically sourcing their their seed and throwing it in their bags and having a few mixes and whatever. So when I was asking, you know, what's a what's my seeds per pound on on this stuff? Yep. Uh, they couldn't ever get back to me of what it was. I mean, I'm sitting here five days later and I haven't heard back from them yet. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's insane. Uh, it just kind of goes yep. back to knowing who your supplier is and working right. with a reputable source. As as the cover crop industry matures, I think the seeds per pound will become more evident. And I'll just go back to you, Don. Uh, Don, you're with the NRCS. Uh, what advice do you give to David to uh, to help the Illinois NRCS kind of? Uh, how, what what, do you, what should David do in this situation here? There's a significant difference between the knowledge and of cover crops within NRCS in Indiana than there is in Illinois. And 
and I understand that because I work on the state line and I know I can drive 30 miles west and there's very little knowledge of, of cover mm-hmm. crops and the ability to help farmers. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a situation and I, and he, I can, and if he's interested in our calculator, our calculator, I, I consider as good as there is, uh, because mm-hmm. it does, it does provide, it doesn't give you these outlandish rates. Um, it, it, it should be very sound. Um, we, we use a lot of industry research behind it um it's probably a little you know it could be a little higher than some industry because as an agency we tend to be conservative you know and throw a little more out there but but it's not out there throwing out there these you know 100 100 pounds ahead of corn or rye thing either yeah well hey if you guys want to get together and that'd be great Uh, i do know that uh there is a difference in nrcs knowledge uh, and confidence, I'll say, on cover crop recommendations from state to state and ge- geography to geography. So, um, yeah, I guess those of us who are involved in education are trying to help that. Uh, but uh, I will I will say that uh, I do know that Indiana has, I, I think it's, I can, I can say this, is, is ahead of a large area of the country in, in, uh, uh, in, in the NRCS department of with cover crops. So. I'll just leave it at that because we, we don't want to get into debate here. But uh, but anyway, that's kind of what's out there. I have I don't know if Chris McCracken, if uh, you can get on. I wouldn't mind hearing how you guys are doing with seed counts. Are you, are you talking about listing seed counts yet on uh, when you sell cover crop seeds? Yeah, Steve. Um, yeah, we're we're we haven't been labeling uh, yeah. seed tags with that or anything like yeah. that, but we. But right. we are offering that uh, um, to that information is available to our sales okay. reps for okay. about ninety percent of the products that we have. Yes. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah, good to hear because I think that's going to be important in the future and fine tuning everything. So, other questions anybody has? Uh, if there's anyone else, I'll just say that um, if there's not anybody else, next week. And I'm sorry for those of you guys who are selling cover crop seed, but I have to do this. Uh, nine simple steps to grow your own cover crop seed. So uh, there's a lot of seed out there. Uh, there's opportunity for some farmers to do this. Um, I, I do feel that there's there's going to be um, a need for this as the industry grows. So um, I've been growing some of my own cover crop seed basically since 1995. So I do have some experience in it. Uh, that being said, that it's not for everybody and also not near all the species are for everybody. There's certain, I, I'll just put it this way, there's certain species that got to be left up to the professionals, meaning the right equipment and so forth. Uh, but there are some things that could be uh, grown uh, by farmers, any farmer who essentially has a combine. So uh, that's what I'll be talking about next week. Um, so just to wrap up here, just want to always give you the opportunity. Are there any other cover crop questions you would like to uh, ask while we're all together here today? Well, thanks for your attention. I really appreciate these questions and uh, looking forward to uh, touching base again next week. If you don't get over to the Facebook group, there's some interesting things posted there uh, from time to time. Appreciate your activity in that. And uh, hey, have a great week when we'll see you soon.